If you would, uh, turn with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to read a few verses from there. Matthew chapter 22, starting with verse 23. It says, The same day came to him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection, and asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, If a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brothers, and the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no other issue, left his wife and his brother. And likewise the second also, and the third, unto the seventh. And last of all the women, and last of all the woman died also. Therefore in the resurrection, whose wife shall he be of the seven? For they all had her. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry, nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished. At his doctrine. I'm going to stop there for now. As many of you, I have read this passage over and over again many times. If there's one book I've read often, it's Matthew. But something in this passage uh, struck me recently uh, that I have not been able to get free from. Something that hadn't struck me before, which is the wonderful way the Spirit works in the Scriptures in your life. You see things anew. You see things from a different perspective. Now, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees is who he was talking to. And if you read the chapters before and the chapters after, we see that they had really come to test him and were giving him quite a hard time. And he answered many of them in parables. And then the next chapter began to really lay into them, uh, showing them who they were. But the Sadducees in particular, they were the upper, upper class. They were the, the rulers They denied a lot of things. They denied the resurrection. They denied life afterwards. And they basically denied God's power in their lives on a daily basis. And they came to him to test him after the Pharisees had had done some. And they asked him that question. So it was a loaded question from the very beginning, knowing that they didn't even believe in life after death. Christ answered them correctly. But what, I, what struck out at me was in verse 29, the very part where Jesus begins to speak. He says, He answered them and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. And the part that struck me was the power of God. And I wondered, do we and do you err, not knowing the power of God? And as I began to, to, to think about this and search through this, I began to think about, do I know the power of God? Or do I err thinking that I do when I don't? Now there's two parts of this. You can err not knowing the scriptures and you can err not knowing the power of God. So I began to do uh, some research in the scriptures and I found that this, uh, the word power here in the Greek is dynamis, which is where we get the word dynamic from in our current vernacular. And it means a power residing in a thing by its virtue. 
So there is a, a power here, which is why it's, it's written as the power of God. Because it is in the virtue of who God is Himself is where this power comes from. And to err means to go astray or to wander or to roam about. And I began to think about how many times I go astray and wander and roam about. And I won't ask for a hand, but all of us can think of times we've done it, and no doubt times this week alone that we have roamed about in error. And when I thought about the power of God, the reason I told you I feel so inadequate to even begin to preach this message is because I don't know that I really know the full power of God. I don't know that even preparing for it this week, and especially last night, I just sat still and I tried to clear my mind of everything, but to conceive of the power of God, and I couldn't do it. I begged and asked and prayed for the, uh, Him to reveal as part of His power uh, before and now today. And I can't hardly do it. I can't hardly sit and try and focus on nothing but the Lord. But we know that God is the ultimate power. And I want to talk about some of the ways and the things that we know. If you want to turn, I want to look in um, John for just a moment first few verses of John. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same which was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And when I began to think about the power of God, I began to think about that He made everything that we know. And He made us. And I thought about Josh's sermon a few weeks ago when he described the tiny hairs in our head in such intricate detail. I had never thought about before. I never thought about many of their purpose. And I certainly had not formed it together to think about how that demonstrates to us His power and His love for us. That He made us in such a way. Now I have thought before as I've studied other things of the body, I have studied the eye and how it works, and I've sat back and thought to myself, what a wonderful, powerful man, which he isn't, but a wonderful, powerful God, to create something so intricate that is, that is so perfect and so meticulous that it works the way that it does. It is amazing, and it is a time we sit back and say, what is an amazing, powerful God that he is. And we think about this in creation. We think about so many of the great men who we study, who who worked to understand the power that God had created. And many of our forefathers, they did. They sat down and they wanted to know and understand the things of nature because they saw the power of God in it. We look around and we see the power of God in nature before us. I've shared this before when preaching, but a number of years ago, I found myself in Colorado, just outside of the Rocky Mountain National Park. And I stood on top of a peak that was higher than most around, looking and looking at sunset. And I looked out across the valleys, and I could feel God's power. I could feel where he carved out the mountains. I could hear the stream going below it. I could hear the birds. I could see the beauty. And I could just feel the power of God and his creation. And my concern is how often do we run away from what he's created into what we have created? How often do we spend time inside of our houses and never go outside to see the power of God? 
Now I have felt the power of God and I have seen the things that we make with the power that He gives us. I've seen the beautiful buildings and the things that we have created, but there's nothing new. The older I get, the more I understand that verse in Ecclesiastes that says there's nothing new under the sun. Well, there isn't. All we do is we take the power that God has given us to make things that He already made new. We, we create different things, but it's all the same parts. All the same stuff that He made through His power at the very beginning by the words of His mouth. And what takes us to fashion with our hands and our blood and our sweat and our tears and to make something, God can do just by speaking. He holds the ultimate power in our lives. So beyond creation... I want to look at some other things about the power of God. And I'm going to cite multiple verses. You can turn with me if you want. You can jot them down. You can just listen. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. And as I began to study and think about the power of God, I was reminded that it is the power of God that comes to us when we are saved. It is that point in our lives when we finally see God for who He is, when we finally see ourselves in comparison for who we are, that the power of God floods us and we are one with Him. It is the power of God that we have at salvation, at a point in our lives when we see God for who He is. Now we all experience this differently. And I'll talk about it in a minute, but we all have times in our lives, maybe your power of salvation came in a still small voice that just said, you're okay. Maybe it came with great uh, triumph and reward. Maybe you came off the altar, as I've heard people say, screaming. Either way, do you have a point in your life when you felt and knew the power of God? Or are we erring like the Sadducees did and fooling ourselves? I'm afraid all too often we err. We don't really know the power of God. This is the point. This is uh, when we start asking people to share with us their testimony. When we start seeking after them, as Brother Hackett says, looking for a supernatural interaction with God, it is the power of God that does that. It is not a working up of our own spirit. It is not of our own flesh. It is the actual power of God who touches us in an important and a powerful way. Keep using this word. I don't know how else to describe it. It's the supernatural hand of God in our hearts and our lives that changes us forever. Amen. And if you haven't had that, then you don't know the power of God. You might know all about God. Scripture talks about how we might do amazing things in the name of the God. But if we don't know His power, we don't know God. And if we don't know God, we're certainly not saved. Another place that talks about this is 1 Corinthians 1 and 18. It says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. The power of God comes in the preaching of His Word. The power of God sits in our lives and affects who we are and what we do and how we do things. Power of God is extremely important. Let's look in Acts, third chapter. I 
I want to read 1 through, three, one through uh, 12. It says, Now Peter went up together into the temple, and at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour, and a certain lame man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked them alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. Isn't it beautiful to think, to look upon the one who's going to release you? To look unto the Lord? And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I have none, but such as I have I give thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took by him the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leapt up, he leapt up, stood, and walked, and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he that had set for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, but they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which had was healed by Peter and John, all the people ran gather unto them to the porch that is called Solomon, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly upon us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? See, Peter and John knew where their power came from. They knew it was nothing that they could do to heal that man. They knew there was nothing they could say, nothing they can do. They had to rely on the utter power of the Lord to heal that man. We talked about in Sunday school today, and that seems to be a running theme so often in so much of what we're hearing that we see here today, we often rely on our own power. And I think it's because we think we have so much of it. We think we have mastered nature until we're taught a lesson. We think we have mastered our jobs until we find ourselves without one. We think we have mastered our family until some tragedy strikes. Over and over again, we think that we have power over the things that we influence. And over and over again, at times, we are taught we have no power whatsoever. This is even more true when it comes to the spiritual things of this world. We have no power over this. We have to recognize that our power comes from the Lord. That our power to do things, to witness to people, to do things comes from the Lord. There's something else of the power I want to talk about. And maybe this is why I'm so nervous today. Maybe this is why I feel the way I do. 1 Corinthians 2 and 4. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. This too is what we identify with so many who preach, because they preach without the power of the Lord. They preach in their own wisdom. They preach of things that they've heard, of things that no doubt some of them have studied. But there is no power in the Word. 
We see that in our own ranks and we see it outside. The lack of power of the Spirit. And again, this is not a power that can be brought up from within by ourselves. It has to be the work of the Holy Spirit. It has to be the work of the Lord who gives us the power as those who preach to preach the Word with that power. And when we don't see it, if we are attuned, we know it. We see that it is missing and we see that it is not there. We have to depend on the Lord for our power to preach. Or we are just simply preaching of our own. And there is no power there. Ephesians 3 and 7 says, Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power. While I was preparing for this sermon, I used a uh, website to look up some of the Greek words, some of the definitions. And there at the top was a little advertisement that said, Want to be a minister? Take these online courses. <laughs> that kind of bothered me. But what bothered me more was the thought that I don't know that that would have bothered me 15 years ago. I would have thought that's just the way it's done. Now, I'm not standing here today telling you to not educate yourself. I'm not standing here today telling you to never seek education. But what I'm telling you today is if you don't have the power of God in your life to begin with, and the power of God doesn't move on you to command you to preach His Word, then you ought not to do it. Because without the power of God, there is no fruit. The effectual working of His power. Do we have the power today? I want to take a diversion here for just a minute. Many of our brethren are very, very quick to criticize seminary and things of that nature. And I will join you. I can tell you that I spent a couple of days walking around on a campus of a seminary last year or so, and it felt empty. I went inside a small chapel that they had. It was... I don't know, maybe set 15, 20 people. It's more like a little prayer chapel. And I turned around and looked, and the balcony in the second floor was just stacked full of boxes of cups and things like that. There was heavy dust on the pews. The seminary itself, here's a small chapel, one of the only ones I knew of, that looked like it was hardly ever used. Are we studying the knowledge of God or God Himself? Are we after an interpretation of what God says? Or are we after the absolute power in the heart of God? Now before you think I'm too critical of them, let's consider ourselves. And make sure that we are seeking the power of God through His Word, not His Word in and of itself. Because we can fall in this trap as well. I did. And I've mentioned this before to you. Before I was saved, I really thought I was the stuff. I challenged my pastor, well, how do you interpret this? And how can we call them the Ten Commandments when there's really 614 or however many there are? I thought I had all the answers. But I'd missed the power of God. 
And when I saw the power of God, when I finally received it, many of these minuscule, petty little things I put behind me and I began to focus on His love and who He is and how I should respond to other people and quit nitpicking the tiny details. And if you look at this uh, story, when he tells the Pharisees, I'm sorry, the Sadducees, that they are denying the power of God, that they don't have that, it's the same idea he tells the Pharisees. He goes on in the next chapter in Matthew and tells them, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. And so many people I see today, that's exactly what they do. They want to have these religious debates and discussions. And never do we discuss the power that God has in our lives. Never do we discuss the power that we can have through the Lord. But we discuss and we debate, well, this says that, and that means this, and therefore this has to happen this way. And I tell you, it is intriguing for me. It's the way I think. It's the way I am. It is a danger I could easily fall into. And miss and simply deny the power of the Lord. There's another place when we have a lot of power. We kind of mentioned it earlier without saying it exactly. The end of 2 Corinthians 12 and 9. He uses the word twice. Now it's interpreted two different ways in the King James that I'm reading from today. It's the same word. I'm going to read it to you. And he said unto me, this is uh, the Lord speaking to Paul. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength, same Greek word power, so I'll read it that way, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We talked in Sunday school about making plans. And we pointed out that it's often foolishness. And if I look back in my life, the long-term plans I make are often foolish. In our times of weakness, in our times of distraught, when we get a phone call at 3 in the morning, when we seem to be the weakest, when we over and over and over again can't overcome whatever it is in our life, this is when God's power is the most evident in our lives. When we are at our weakest, when we have made all the plans that we can make and they don't work, when we've been kicked down, when we uh, have a life like Paul, where over and over and over again he has physical sufferings. He has emotional sufferings. This man's heart bleeds for the churches that he's been a part of, for the people that he helps to lead. It is a constant burden on him, and he talks about how hard it is to carry the load of the love for the churches he had constantly bore down. And yet, what does he say? He said, My grace is sufficient for thee, for in my power is made perfect in weakness. If you know that you're weak, look for God's power. Look for God's power. Seek it out in your prayers. Try to understand what it's like. Go out into nature that God has made and experience His power firsthand and it will renew you. There's a study I read just a couple days ago that talked about this. It said that those, uh, they're doing scientific studies now and they're saying that those who have trouble with sleeping, who have constant insomnia, who can't sleep, if they begin to sleep outside, it goes away. 
They don't have to always sleep outside. It's, it's enough to do it once or twice in a month. And it helps you. There's something about being a part of nature. Again, I keep going back to this, not because I'm worshiping the nature itself, but there's something about being in the things that God has made and experiencing His power. I rather glory in my affirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul accepted his lot in life. But he didn't just sit down and complain about it. He did it with the Lord commanded him, and he did it with power that was obvious to all who saw him. So when we have our times when we are weak, we need to focus on his power that's in us. And I think sometimes, perhaps, we must be weakened so that we can depend on his power. Because going back to what I said at the very beginning, we depend on ourselves too much. We think we're in control. It takes that weakness sometimes for us to see that we're really not. A couple more verses. A couple more things for us to think about. I want to look at Second Timothy one seven and eight. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, yes. and of love, and of sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the affections of the gospel according to. The power of God. So we see here Timothy reminding us that the power of God is the gospel. It's the power in our lives. It's the good news of the gospel of who Christ is. The good news that God loves us. Don't be given to the spirit of fear, but of power. We are fearful in our lives. We should seek the power of God. When we are downtrodden, we should seek the power of God and of love and of a sound mind. So the question is, do you know the power of God? Have you experienced the power of God? Have you experienced the power of God recently? And before you get too carried away answering that question, I want to make sure I give you an example. If we look into Exodus, we see the children are brought out of bondage. They're led out into the wilderness, and Pharaoh pursues them. And they become afraid. They begin to speak against Moses. Let me just read it to you. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you this day. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, ye shall never see them again, forever. Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation. That salvation is the power of God that I just laid out before. The power of God is in His salvation. And what happens that great and amazing day, something we've never seen since, to my knowledge, the waters are parted. 
Now, what could demonstrate more the power of God than to have the waters divide and them to walk across, not on a muddy ground, but on dry ground, it says. They walk across. Who could stand there and deny the power of an all-living God when you see that? So sometimes we'll know the power of God that way. And other times, as Josh uh, preached recently, we'll see it like Elijah. The power of God wasn't in the fire. It wasn't in the earthquake. It wasn't in the great and amazing things like we saw in Exodus. At that point, it was in the still, small voice. Yes. Yes. The power of God has no connection with what we think it is. The power of God can be an amazing dividing of the waters. It can be a miraculous thing in your life. It can be the healing of some ailment or some disease. It can also be in the still, small voice when we are one with Him. And we can feel that power of God. And so I ask you today, do you err in the power of God? Now I want to caution us. There were two things that were the problem. He told them, he said, you err not knowing the scriptures. So unlike some people, we cannot just sit and pray and hope for the power and an overwhelming spirit and ignore the scriptures. We have to know the scriptures. It is our duty to understand them. He has given us amazing minds for us to reason and understand and think through the scriptures and to know them. That is a part But if we leave out the power, we still err. If we think we have all the power of the Lord, but we ignore the scriptures, we still err. You can err both ways. And simply having knowledge of the scripture doesn't lead to power. That is a relationship, a a prayerful time that we spend together with God when he renews that power in us. I want to close with a couple more verses. 2 Timothy in 3 says this, know also that in the last days perilous times shall come for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetousness, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to the parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, High-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. And here in verse 5 it says, Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Brothers and sisters, when we look around at others, when we look around at other churches, when we look around at our family and other groups who call themselves Christians, do we see this today? Do we see the form of godliness, yet the denial of the power in their lives of who God is? Absolutely. But, the point I want to make today is while we are quick to look around at other churches and other groups and other people and judge them for their godliness but the denial of the power, we must ask ourselves, do we have that power? Or are we just as bad? Are we in a form godly, yet deny the power of the Lord? 
Do we deny the power of our salvation? Do we deny the power of the Holy Spirit who resides in us? Do we seek His power when we are weak? Do we seek His power when we are not? Do we see His power in all of creation? Do we look at another human being and see the power of God in their eyes? Or are we godly but deny those powers? I didn't find a tremendous scripture for this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway, and I think the concepts back me up. We receive the power of God at salvation, as I said. For many of us, that's the first time we truly see and understand the true power of God. And we can go throughout our lives and we can look at times and points when maybe we saw the power of God in a stronger way. Maybe it was in our weakness. Maybe it was in those quiet times. Maybe it was an amazing event that we see the power of God. But I tell you this, and I feel for certain, our sin will interrupt that power. Absolutely. It will get in the way. If we allow sin in our lives to fester and to grow, we will move further and further and further away from that power and it will not be there at the moment that we need it. It is our Christian duty to seek the power of God, to seek a relationship with Him, to seek the knowledge of the power of who He is, and to do that, we have to begin to remove the things that are in our lives that shouldn't be. Now, I stand here today and tell you that can be easy to say and really hard to do. There are things in our lives that we have the power to remove. And as Christians, I think there are things in our lives that we know the power of God that we are able to remove. But there are other things in our lives that we need the power of God to remove. There are addictions that we can't overcome. And I stand here today, and when I say addiction, I don't mean alcohol and drugs. No, I most certainly include those. We can be addicted to prescription drugs. We can be addicted to our work. We can be addicted to anything. Anything we put above God. The scripture bears us out. So while we might sit here today and we might wonder and ask ourselves this question, are we in error? Are we wandering? Are we astray? Are we roaming about from the power of God? And are we doing so and putting more sin in between us and the legitimate power of God? Now maybe you're sitting here and thinking of something that you have put in the way of God. And maybe it's something you can just get rid of. Maybe it's something you can just turn off. I tell the story, I was visiting with a good Christian family last night, and he challenged me. He hit me where I needed it. And I hit back with some excuses and said, oh, I'm not quite ready for this yet. He told me, he said, brother, you keep looking for answers. And I mean worldly answers, not of a spiritual nature. He said, you're going to you're not like what you find. You need to quit now. And I argued with him. I said, you're almost right. I'm almost there. 
And I told him of another time when I knew I was there. I was down on my knees praying in Louisville. And out of nowhere, I had this overwhelming, see this is the power of God. I had an overwhelming internal instinct to stop listening to a podcast that I've been listening to for like six or seven years on a daily basis. And for whatever reason, rather than deny it, I got up right then and there. I deleted it off my phone. I got back on my face and continued to pray. And it was the right thing to do. That one was within my power. So what is it that you have through the grace of God, through the power that He's given you as a Christian to get rid of in your life? Is it your phone? Is it your television? It's the one for me. One of many. I have a hard time with that. I don't know if I've told this story before. I am almost addicted to television. It doesn't matter if it's on. I can't can't stop looking at it. I used to go to calls as a police officer and have men and women fighting in the living room, arguing about something that the TV was on, and I could hardly focus on them because I was more interested in what was on TV. It's a problem for me. And with God's power, there's days I can overcome it. There's weeks and months I can overcome it. Then I begin to fall back. What is it in your life that you are putting in front of the power of God? Understand that in your weakness, that's when He has the chance to shine through. I don't know what it is in your life. I don't know what the sins might be in your life. But seek God's power to help remove those burdens. Yes. So that the power that God does give you can shine forth to the lost and dying generation. Maybe you've never experienced the power the first time. Or maybe the power came the first time and it wasn't the way you expected it. Test that out. I don't really know how to close this sermon other than just to continue to ask the question. And we should ask it as a group, as a congregation, as a church, as a body of believers, and we should ask it individually. Are we erring, which means wandering or roaming, away from the power of God? Do we have that in our lives on a daily basis? Or are we simply just lost and roaming, erring about? And we can be saved and be that way. I've been there. Seek the Lord. Have Him help you in His power to overcome so that you can have the power of the Lord.